We are in a series called the Omega Series. Everybody say Omega. Come on, Omega. And that's the Greek word for end. And so I've been studying all month long for this series, and I have determined that Jesus is coming back tonight. So y'all need to give a bigger tithe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's amazing as you get to looking into the apocalyptic writings and, and, and hearing what other uh, ministers and people have to say about it. It's crazy how weird people get about the end times. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. Have you met somebody like that? Are you that person? Please don't be that weird person that's gone down that rabbit hole and now you can't get out and everything's the antichrist. And, uh, and, you know, the blood moons things are scaring you to death and all that. Know this. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's with you even to the very end of the age. Isn't that true? Say yes. Does he love you? Say yes. Does he love us? Say yes. Amen. And so with that being said, if you weren't here with us last week, we try to help you identify as we jump into these apocalyptic uh, writings in the scripture, the end of the world. Uh, you may or may not know this, but in your New Testament, there, one out of every 30 verses have some type of reference to the end or the second coming of Jesus or the return of Christ. 23 of the 27 New Testament books have some type of reference to the end of time or again, the return of Christ. And there are four major passages that are studied in the New Testament in reference to the end. And we looked last week at that passage in the book of Matthew. Jesus actually speaking in Matthew chapter 24. His disciples come to him and say, how do we know? How will we know when the end has come? And he opens up with not these 16 ways to know. He opens up with, be sure that no one deceives you. Be sure that no one deceives you. And then he goes on to say there will be wars and rumors of wars. He said, but I don't know. The angels don't know. Only the Father knows when the end will be. And so he really gives us some life lessons, which is our premise in studying the end of time and studying the apocalyptic writings is to give you the life lessons that are actually being presented. In fact, as you study the word of God, as you come to know your Savior a little bit better, you'll recognize that Jesus is less worried about you somehow figuring out if the Antichrist is some European leader or, you know, if the mark of the beast is the vaccination. He He's so much less worried about what it could have, would it should have be, and he's trying to teach you and I to live ready, to be ready, to not let the enemy steal anything from us, that you and I have an intimate, deep relationship with him, so we have no fear or no worries. Are you with me today? Say yes. So with that being said, today we're going to jump into the Thessalonian passages, so go ahead and turn on your Bible. We'll be looking in a couple passages in the book of Thessalonians, chapter one, excuse me, uh, there are two books to the Thessalonians. There is 1 Thessalonians, and then there's 2 2 Thessalonians. And what I love about this whole teaching and whole training that Paul's into is that he's really trying to give confidence to the Thessalonian church. In fact, our key scripture is found in, um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. This is our key scripture for today. You ready? Here's what it says. But I do not want you to be ignorant. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't be ignorant. You shouldn't have said that. You're in trouble. Do, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. So see, it was just talking to men. So ladies, you don't have to worry about it. No. I don't want you to be ignorant, church, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. 
lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. If you would give me just a moment to give you a little bit of premise, this is where most people get into bad theology is they don't know what, they don't go back and research what was transpiring in that time and what that was, what problem that, that letter was solving. And so to understand what's happening here, Paul has gone in on his second missionary journey, he and Silas, and they have this radical God moment uh, in Thessalonica. People begin getting saved. He births a church. It's phenomenal. He's there for about a month, and while he's there, he teaches them. He's teaching them in the evenings and on the weekends because he's running a business throughout the day. In fact, he tells them, I never asked you for anything. I financed the whole work of this church myself, and I minister to you and birth you into the things of God. You are our... You are our legacy and what God has done in you is phenomenal. But in the midst of birthing this church in this city, leaders begin to get angry at Paul and Silas and threaten to kill them. And Paul and Silas literally have to escape and leave the city. And so sometime later, in the midst of all this persecution, this young new church is being birthed. So you picture probably 30, 40, 50 people maybe, kind of a home church scenario, not like our big established American churches with buildings and lights and smoke machines and video production and all that. This is just raw church, people getting right with God, their neighbors coming and getting saved, knowing the living Savior, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They're having these miracles and these signs and wonders because that's what the church is supposed to be. And then in the midst of all of this persecution, Paul and Silas have to escape with their lives. And that group of people who live there, who do business there, they're kind of stuck there to go through persecution as they grow in the things of God. And so sometime later, Paul is deeply concerned concerned about them. And so he he sends uh, Timothy to check on them, and Timothy gives a report back. They're thriving. It's crazy. They're still alive. They haven't quit on God, no matter how bad it's gotten. Some have even been murdered because, because of their faith in Christ. And these are pagan people that have left all of their, uh, all of their you know, temple worship to Dianus and whatever other pagan stuff they're involved in, the drinking of blood, the murder of their, of their children as sacrifice to idols. And they've been serving Jesus, and that's brought persecution from their government. That's brought persecution from their neighbors, their co-workers. Come on, somebody. They are in it. And And the Apostle Paul gets a report back. They are still loving God. They haven't quit. So he writes 1 Thessalonians. And he's so encouraged by by their love for the Lord. And in the midst of writing that, he says, now listen, I don't want you to be ignorant. He says, I I know that some of you have questions about those who have died. Uh, Will they go to heaven? Uh, Things like that. And so he begins to kind of give them some teaching and some understanding about the end of the world and about the end of time and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so he jumps into that and he begins to share with them, listen, God is going to be praised. He will not abandon you. He says, don't panic. The day of the Lord, when it comes, he says, it'll be real clear. And, uh, And so he begins to give them some teaching like that. But then what happens is someone gets involved in reading that letter and they begin to misappropriate Paul's words. And now they're telling everybody, wait a minute, Jesus has come back and we missed it. So now they're in a panic because, oh my goodness, we missed the second coming of the Lord. So does that mean that we were not saved, really saved? Is this, all, is this whole thing a joke? Why, what about my grandmother who was murdered because of her faith in Jesus? What happens with her now? Do I get to be you and not, you, uh, reunited with her? And then Paul has to send a second letter calming them all down and fixing all of this misunderstanding. And that's why our key verse is that we don't want you to be ignorant. He says, listen, I don't want you to be ignorant. Back 
to our key verse. He says, but I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have others.